Try that again. Hey, Mountain. Good to see everybody. Glad you're with us. Welcome. Happy Easter. So, yeah, can we just say hello to everyone at all the different campuses? We just kind of say hello and welcome. We have Abingdon and Bel Air and Edgewood and Mountain Road. So it's great to have everybody together on Easter. I know it's kind of like uh, supposed to be a really happy day and a big, big time and a good time. Uh, so I kind of hate to bring everybody down, but I, I thought I'd tell you what I heard on the news. The guy who uh, invented this scale, have you seen this? Show the scale. Yeah. The guy who invented that scale apparently has, has died. Yeah. You're supposed to go, oh. Yeah. Yeah, he, he uh, passed away. <laughs> Get it? Passed away. Come on now, that's not, it's better than you're giving me credit for. Are you sad that, that, it's, that I opened the message with a joke or what? Actually, you know, um, dying's really not that funny, but it does remind me that a month before my uncle died, he put like a bunch of lard on his back. I don't know why he did that, but boy, he went downhill fast after that. He really did. He really, and my aunt, oh my goodness, my aunt, she, um, she died because we couldn't remember her blood type. And as she was dying, she kept insisting, be positive, be positive. And we tried, but it's hard without her, you know, so, yeah. My friend is Dutch. He says his great-great-great-grandfather is the one who invented those wooden shoes. Yeah. But he died uh, putting out a campfire, apparently. So, all right, how about one more, one more. One more dying joke, okay? Ready? The village blacksmith finally found this apprentice who was willing to work hard. And so he's so excited. He's like, okay, listen, buddy. When I take the red-hot shoe out of the fire, I'm going to put it right here. I'm going to lay it on the anvil. And then when I nod my head, you hit it with a hammer. (laughs) Which is exactly what happened. And now that young guy is the village blacksmith. There you go. So... Hey, we need, I figure we need to laugh. You know, we all need to laugh. And, uh, well, and, and, but the truth is, uh, death is no laughing matter. I mean, none of us is excited about dying, I don't suppose, and that's no laughing matter. And some of us are probably actually still kind of hurting or grieving from a, a very real death. That's no laughing matter. And I can, I can tell you this. The disciples and the friends of Jesus, during the first Easter, they, it, they weren't laughing at all either. They weren't laughing. Because they had just seen Jesus you know, go through that horrific death experience. And they had to witness all of that. You know, can you imagine that? I mean, they had pinned their hopes on this guy. And then when he died, a lot of their hope kind of died with it. I bet some of us can kind of relate to that. And so now they remembered back, you know, they're looking there on Friday. You know, that, that mouth that had spoken such awesome words of truth and life now just gaped open hanging on the cross you know those hands that were so quick to heal and touch and bless people now just like frozen there with blood caked on the skin and spikes through the tendons right those feet that would go so quickly to whoever needed him that the, the lame and the lepers and the left behind types whoever and, and now now they'd seen those feet carry across up the hill And now they're motionless on the cross. The lungs that breathe life into every living thing now weren't breathing at all. The heartbeat of God in Jesus stopped. The light of the world sealed up in a tomb with a stone over its mouth. So nobody's laughing. 
So we come to the end of this thing we've been calling the good story. We've been working our way through the gospel of Mark, which tells the story about Jesus, right? And so we come to the end, and this is what's happening. Verse uh, 42 of Mark 15, we'll put it on the screen here as well. Uh, it says this, all this happened on a Friday, which was the day of preparation. Now, preparation for the, the, um, the Sabbath, because everything shut down uh, during the Sabbath, right? And, and, and the day before the Sabbath, it actually, so that's the, 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 the day of preparation. As evening approached... So the day Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. Let me just time out right there and tell you about Joseph. Joseph, it says he, he was a member of the, the Pharisees. He was a member of the council that condemned Jesus. So when they're having this mock trial and accusing Jesus and spitting on Jesus and slapping Jesus around and accusing him of blasphemy... Joseph Arimathea is there. He's part of that. And yet we know from Luke and John and the other stories that, that he wasn't really consenting. He, didn't, he was drawn to Jesus. He's like a secret follower of Jesus. He's like a fan of Jesus. And yet he's part of the crowd, that, part of the, the council that, that condemned him. It's like he kind of knew in his heart that Jesus was who he said he was. And he was drawn to him, but he hadn't really come out with that and said it. He's kind of on the fence. And so this guy who was in secret when Jesus was alive goes kind of public now that Jesus is dead, and he takes a bold stand. And it says here that he took a risk, and he went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate, by the way, was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. Sometimes these guys could hang on the cross for days or, you know, at a time. So he called for the Roman officer to make sure and asked Jesus that, it, that if Jesus had already died. And the centurion confirmed that Jesus was, in fact, dead. So Pilate told Joseph that he could have the body. And so here's this secret follower of Jesus now coming out with a ladder, putting it up against the cross and pulling this body, pulling those hands off the nails and taking this body down. And he's not a secret follower anymore. I'm just guessing. I'm talking to some people that probably can relate a little bit to this guy. You know, maybe you're a little bit on the fence with Jesus. Maybe there's a part of you that's, that's drawn to Jesus. But there's another part of you that's afraid or you're not sure what your family would say or, or you know, you just have reasons now, I, just, I hope what happens to Joseph in our story happens to some of you today. That you will be so moved by what Jesus has done that you will say, you know what, I'm doing this. Just like he did. And, and go public with your faith. You could do that even today. In fact, we're going to have a baptism splash in a couple of weeks. We're going to have these, like these big pools actually on, on this stage and every one of our campuses. And it's just an opportunity for someone who, like this guy, wants to say, I'm done with being on the fence. I'm, I, I want to I go in and follow Jesus. I'm going to do that. So you can keep that in mind. Okay, so back to the text. So uh, the, the, a lot of criminals in those days, they didn't even get a decent burial. If you, were, if you were hung on a cross, they'd leave you out there, and the birds and the animals would pick you apart, right? And that's why they think this place was called Golgotha, or Place of the Skull. They called it Place of the Skull because there were so many skeletons and bones lying around from the, the guys who died out there. But Jesus was so special to Joseph that he, he has this unused brand new tomb of, of a cave, of a grave. And so he gets, gets his ladder and he goes and gets permission. Verse 46 of, of Mark 15. Joseph brought, bought a long sheet of linen cloth and then he took Jesus' body down from the cross and he wrapped it in the cloth and he laid the body in a tomb that had been carved out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone in front of the entrance and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, 
saw where Jesus' body was laid. Maybe you've seen pictures of what the tombs would have been like in those days. They still have them. You can go visit them today. Many of them are the same. Kind of an opening in the limestone. You can see in a big stone, whether a round one like this or maybe a big boulder like this that, you know, ten guys could push over on its side to sort of block the mouth of, of the cave. Um, and that's what happened on Friday. Skip over to Sunday, Mark chapter 16. After the Sabbath, so it would have been Saturday night, Mary Magdalene, Salome, and Mary the mother of James bought some spices to put on Jesus' body. That was what you did when you embalmed someone or sort of showed them respect. It was kind of both functional and, and uh, reverent. And then verse 2 says, Very early then on Sunday morning, just as the sun was coming up, they went to the tomb. So, you know, Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. All the disciples, they left. But the, the women are there. They were there at the cross, and here they are. Now they're going to the tomb to pay their respects, and they're grieving. They're sad. They're so devastated by this whole thing. But look, I want you to notice something that, that I think you'll think is interesting like I did. Verse 3 of, of Mark 16. On their way, they come up with a problem. Like, oh, no. They're asking one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? The guys, are, the guys are nowhere to be found. How, how are we going to do this? We can't do this. Who will roll away the stone for us? Friends, this is the question. This is like a universal question. Who will move the stone? That's every human asks that question. Because wherever you are in life, Standing between where you are and where you ultimately want and need and hope to be, there's a big boulder in your path. That's true for every single person. Who will move the stone? There are certain situations in life that are so impossible, so immovable, you can do anything you want and it seems like you're not going to budge them. I have about as much chance of changing this situation as I do of moving this boulder. Certain things that are just impossible. Certain scenarios, challenges, obstacles that get put up in our path and they begin to block us so we can't get where we want to go. And it's frustrating. It's discouraging. It's dispiriting. It makes you so sad in your spirit. You say, I've cried. I've tried. I've prayed. I've pried. I had nothing. The thing won't budge and you're just stuck. It sort of like seals you up in a tomb and you live there now because you can't get past that stone. Sometimes things seem kind of hopeless. I was very uh, shocked and saddened last week when I learned that a, a really good friend of mine uh, was arrested and brought in on first-degree murder charges. And I went to his arraignment on Monday, and I'll tell you, it was difficult, very sobering to see him coming out, shuffling with those chains between his ankles and in that jumpsuit with his arms here and fastened to his belly. Only a few minutes later then to be taken out by those armed guards, slammed behind that big metal door. It's just I, nothing I could do. Kind of helpless. That's what a stone feels like. So let me ask you a question. What's your stone? What, what, is, what is your stone, that, that challenge, that obstacle? It's important to think about this because it really makes a difference. Like the women... They couldn't get to Jesus until the stone was moved. And I wonder if, if that's true for us too sometimes. Like there's some kind of stone or barrier between you and God. 
And, and, and until you really get that stone removed, you know, maybe, maybe you're not going to be able to connect with God quite. Is there some kind of weight or obstacle or sin that's hindering you from Jesus? Sometimes stones can keep us from connecting with God. And maybe it's because something happened, you know. You got mad about something, you got sad about something, or some traumatic life experience or whatever. We have a lot of reasons, but these boulders get put up in our lives, don't they? And it gets bigger over time. And before long, if you're not careful, the stone becomes our heart. Our heart becomes a stone. And it's the very thing that sort of just locks us in. becomes part of who we are. I wonder today, can anybody move the stone? What's your stone? Can anybody move that stone? So many stones, aren't there? You begin to think about it. Can you name the stone? I, I know, I bet somebody has a stone of bitterness and unforgiveness. Like that thing that happened... It's like you just have an unforgiving spirit about you and now it's like locked you down and you're not even trying to push that stone anymore. You're just going to live with it the way it is. Or maybe there's someone with a stone of, of addiction and it's just like the habits and the hang-ups and the hurts that go along with that. It's just like I can't move that. I can't budge that stone. What's your stone? Sometimes we have a stone of anger, like it's just like, it's just seething and boiling inside of you, and you don't even know where it's coming from, but it's there, and it's just like, you, you can't seem to do anything about it. Or there's lies that you were told when you were a kid, and now they become like facts and head, like they're just a big boulder there that you can't change, do anything about, but they're because they're real to you, even though someone told you they're a bunch of lies. What's your stone? Sometimes we have stone of loneliness or abandonment, we have stones of of rejection, stones of inferiority. Sometimes people have just deep sadness or a grief that just is like a stone and it, and it just locks them in a little tomb of their own, of their life and they just have no light and no life in there and they can't get out. What's your stone? There's stones of shame. There's stones of family patterns. There's stones of, 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 of so many, so many things. I'll tell you what, if you're saying to me, oh Ben, I actually don't have any of those stones. Well, first of all, I'd say if you, don't, if you feel like you don't have any big rock in front of you, first of all, you're not very self-aware. Okay. But second of all, I'll tell you a stone that everybody does have, and it's a big one. It's the big one. And that is everybody has to figure out what to do with the immovable stone of, of our sin and our death. Because, like, yeah, everyone's going to die, and yeah, you do the best you can, you get through life, and you still got sin on your record. Everybody does. And it's a huge problem that you can't just push aside on your own. And it's not just going to go away. Because each of us stands guilty before a righteous God, right? And there's a boulder of sin. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death, which actually separates us from God, puts you in a tomb where, where you're just like, that's going to separate you, and that, that, that's, that's horrible, and it stands against us. Who can move that stone? Who can move some of these big stones? Who can move the stone of my death? If I just, can my dad do that for me? If I get married, will that move that stone? If I just sort of get a good job and a nice house, will that get rid of my stone? If I get a new boyfriend, will that, will that do that for me? If I have kids or I adopt, will that, will that sort of bring it all together and that stone gets moved? You know what? None of those stones move that way. They don't. We just busy our lives and we go on and do these things. And that stone of sin and death is a big one. It's no laughing matter either. So back to the text. Uh, chapter 16, verses 3 and 4. Here's the women. They're going to the tomb. On the way there, they're asking one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance for us? But when they looked up, sometimes you've got to look up, y'all. They looked up, and what they saw was that the stone had already been moved. 
It had already been rolled away, and it was a huge stone, the Bible says. It was a big one. Sometimes you got to look up and see that the stone is already rolled away. A lot of these stones have already, the, 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 the problem has already been solved, but we're still sitting inside like a, a, a cave of our own doing, and we won't go out into the daylight. But we've got to look up. We're living like captives and slaves sometimes. We're here to celebrate some good news today, and that is that the stone has already been rolled away. You've got to look up and see that. And friends, that's really good news. Let me tell you how it comes out in the book of Mark. Here we go. The last part of the book of Mark. Here it is. The women, verses 5 through 8. The women went into the tomb, and on the right side they saw a young man in a white robe sitting there. And they were shocked. Well, of course, wouldn't you be? And the man said, oh, don't be alarmed. Yeah, right. He's like an angel or something. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, I'll bet, who was nailed to a cross. Well, guess what? I got news for you. He ain't here. Well, I'm paraphrasing now, but that's it. God raised him to life. You can see the place where they had his body right there. Now get on out of here. You're not going to find a dead man among the living. Go tell his disciples, and especially Peter because he screwed up so bad. That he's going ahead of you to Galilee, and you'll see him there just like he told you. Everything he said is coming true. And when the women ran from the tomb, they were confused and shaken all over, and they were too afraid to tell anyone what had happened. But eventually they got over that, and they did tell a bunch of people, which is why we know today. And you know what? I want to make sure you understand. These women are going to embalm the dead body of poor old dead and gone Jesus. They're, the last thing they're expecting is re- run into an angel, run into something like this. You know, they're, they're just thinking, okay, well, let's just go and pay our respects. And, 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 and that's when they found out, you know what? There's news because Jesus isn't here because he's alive. The stone has been rolled. Friends, don't you roll in here on Easter or any other time thinking you're going to, like, pay your respects to a dead and gone Jesus. We're here to encounter the living presence of Christ. He's alive. He's alive and it changes everything. And that's how the early church took off like wildfire. It wasn't a bunch of hallucinations or a sort of conspiracy theory or some story or some kind of, you know, wishful thinking or emotional experience. No, these folks, by the hundreds over periods of time, over 40 days, witnessed the living Christ, and they were like, holy cow, if that's true, God can do anything. That means He still rolls stones. Say that with me, will you? He still rolls stones. I know you said it. I wonder if anybody believes it, because that's, that's important. We've got to live our lives like He can still roll stones. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He says, it is finished. He was just getting started. See? And the same power that raised up Jesus from the dead is the same power that he has now made available to be accessible to every single person who by faith claims trust in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul could say in Philippians 3 verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I, wanna, I want that same power in my life. He didn't say, I, I, I don't want to study Jesus in a history book. I don't want to go to church and study some dead martyr. I want to know Christ. I want to have a living relationship with the presence of Jesus who walked out of that tomb and he's alive and well today. And you can have that same because he still rolls stones. And if that's true, friends, here's what I'm asking you. Let him roll away your stone. Let him roll away that stone that you're thinking of, the one you named. Let him roll away your stone. Listen, if Jesus didn't come into life again, then he couldn't roll away his own stone. And he's no help to you or me. But he did. And he's alive, and that means there is no mountain he cannot move. So let him roll away your stone. How about the big one, the death and sin stone? 
you got to start there. Let them roll away the stone of your sin. Because you're in a big problem if you try to solve that one on your own. You're not going to ever budge the stone of your sin on your own. And how about your death? Has anyone solved that? Anyone here not planning on dying? Okay. No, you can't solve that one. That's a stone you, you're powerless against. And that's why the ancients, the ancients had a very depressing view of death, and I think a lot of people today do too. You know, the Greeks and the Jews, they all kind of had a... Dep- no, one, no one was dreaming of a resurrection, really. Not really, anybody. It was so, that's why they couldn't get their head around it. When Jesus said, I'm going to rise again, they're like, what are you talking about? No one was talking about that. Nobody did that. In fact, they said, you know, like the Greeks, they said, you want to go down the tunnel of Hades, and when you get to the end of the tunnel, guess what you find? A stone wall. It's a dead end, no exit. Epicurus had a thing that he was famous for. He said, you know, death is the end. This is all there is. Get the best you can right now because after you're done here, it's all over. There's nothing, there's nothing waiting for you except a stone wall at the end of the tunnel. There was a little thing that they put all over inscriptions on the inside of these tombs back in the, back in the day. It's all over there. You can still see it. The archaeologists are still finding it. It was in Latin like this, like non fui fui non sum non curo. I know you all know what that means. But in case there's someone who doesn't brush up on their Latin recently, here's what it basically means. I was not, then I was. Now I am not, and I don't care. There's a real pick-me-up, right? That's a great rule view. Talk about futility. That's how people live their lives. I didn't used to be, but then I came along. I lived a little while. Now I'm dead, and who cares? That's it. That's the best we got to hope for. And Bible actually affirms that point of view that, that there is such a thing. Death without God, it is going into a dark, permanent cave of captivity called eternal separation from God. The just judgment for our sin because we've chosen to separate ourselves. That's what sin is. And, 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 and so in the end, we, we end up coming up against this where there ought to be an opening. There's not. It's a stone and that we cannot budge. You cannot budge that with any amount of good works, with any amount of, you know, super prayers or, or doing good deeds or this kind of thing where we fall powerless against the weight of the boulder of our sin. And here's the good news. Jesus comes along and he says, I'll take all of that boulder on himself. And it crushed him and killed him. And then it slipped into place over the mouth of the tomb where they buried him. He went in that tomb to die so you will never have to. He took the weight of your sin on him so it would be off of you. That's the whole point of the Christian faith. And what that means is that on the third day when he rose again and that God rolled that stone away and he's like, well, here I am again. Surprise. I'm walking out of here. Anybody want to come with? You know, following Jesus is not always easy. Sometimes it's kind of hard right now. But you know what? When I die and I'm like, can I follow you out of this grave? And he's like, sure thing. I think I'm going to like following Jesus pretty well then. What do you think? Because his death means you don't have to die. His resurrection means we have resurrection. So death now for us, guess what? It is a laughing matter. It's a laughing matter. It's like, yeah, in fact, that's what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15. Listen to this. It talks about because Jesus rose, we're all going to rise. And then it says in, in verse 54, the bodies we now have, talk about a laughing matter. They're weak and they're going to die, but they will be changed into bodies that are eternal, just like happened to Jesus. Then the scriptures will be fulfilled. It's just, listen to this. Death has lost the battle. It's swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death, I'm not afraid. Neener, neener, neener. This is what the Christian faith is. Because Jesus rolled that stone away, walked out of there, and he's just like, like a boss. He's just like, the tomb did not seal him up, and it won't seal you up either. Y- your grave is simply a passageway to your next destination. 
because Jesus is the one who said in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, you'll die one day, but you're not going to really die. You'll live forever. And that's a boulder you can't move on your own. You're either non-fui-fui or you're I'm with Jesus. <laughs> non-fui-fui is I'm going to try to move my own stone. That ain't going to work out for you. Can I make one thing clear to everybody? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just about what happened a couple thousand years ago. And it's not just about what's going to happen when you die. It's about right now. It's meant to have an impact right now. Remember Philippians 3.10? I want to know Christ today and experience the power that raised him from the dead. I want to experience that in my life. I hope you have that experience in your life. Let that experience come and move your stone. I believe that somebody here has a big old stone of hopelessness. Some of us have a stone of hopelessness. You just lost hope. Maybe you look okay on the outside, but inside you're dying. I just want to remind you today, no matter how dire, no matter how dreary, no matter how depressing your outlook is, listen, darkness is never the last word. We're, we're not Good Friday people. We're Easter people. The darkness is never the last word. I mean, when, when Jesus went to the cross, it looked, it looked like it was the end. It looked hopeless. Darkness fell. His friends deserted him. Heaven was, lick, you know, was, was weeping and hell was licking its chops. They, they put the stone in place. It looked like it was all over and God was just counting to three. One, two, and on the third day, he raised up Jesus and rolled that stone. And if Jesus can roll that stone, there's no mountain of hopelessness he can't move. So you hang in there. Let him roll your stone. I feel like someone's got a, a stone of like, I know a lot of people struggle with a stone of shame and guilt. And I just hope you'll, you'll turn that stone over and know that Jesus has paid the price for your guilt and that shame, he's proven his deep love and how much worth you have. That ought to erase the edges of your shame. Someone's got a stone of grief and sadness that's just... It's about to crush you and it's blocking out the light. Now, can I remind you that the Bible reminds us that weeping lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. Nothing this life can throw at you will last forever. So when you come to the tomb, don't come just with, with your head down. Look up to see that the stone has already been rolled and let Jesus roll away the stone of your grief and your sadness. Weep and cry and be sad, but look up eventually. Look up. Now, I know some of us are stuck behind a stone of loneliness. You just feel intensely alone. You might be single. You might be married. You, you, I don't know, but, but we have this deep loneliness, and it feels like it's just crushing you and blocking out light from you. Can I just invite you to think of Jesus who cried from the cross, my God, my God, why have you abandoned, forsaken me? But then he rose from the dead, came out of the tomb, and he said, Peace be to you in your loneliness. And I will never leave or forsake you. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Let Jesus be your best friend, your loyal companion, your friend in time of need, your closest ally through every trial of your life to ease the ache of your loneliness and let him be enough for you. He will move that stone of loneliness away. What's your stone? Whether it's addiction or suffering or pain, or bitterness or an unforgiving heart or some stronghold in your life where the devil's got a foothold, some habit, some husband, some hurt. Let Jesus roll that stone away.
and let it happen in your everyday life. Don't forget that. Like verse 7. Look at verse 7. The messenger says to the women, now go, tell his disciples and especially Peter. Hey, just might as well put your own name in there because you're as much of a mess up as he was. Hey, Jesus has a message for you. Go tell them and especially Ben because I, that I want him back and I'll meet you right back in Galilee. In other words, back where you live your life, right where you put your feet under the table for dinner at night, back where you go to work, back where you shop. That's where the living Jesus is ahead of you waiting to meet you and unleash some power into your life. And you're not going to live on a mountaintop. We're talking about every day like accessing the living Christ as your companion in life. Brian is a new friend of mine. Here's a picture of Brian and his wife Liz. He says that um, he didn't really grow up in a church family at all, but his family did take him to church to have him sprinkled when he was a baby. But then a few years later, that same priest molested two of his brothers. And that sent his family into a horrible tailspin. He says, from then on, I didn't want anything to do with religion. And it was like a big boulder was put in place in his life, kind of between him and the Lord. Fast forward to when he got married. His life seemed to be going a little, a little better until all of a sudden his 15-year-old little sister died of an ear infection. And he just like, he couldn't understand how a good God could do that and take her away from him. And the boulder grew a little larger. They had some kids. There's a picture of their beautiful family, he and Liz. And things seemed to level out for a while. But then out of the blue, his father committed suicide. And it just rocked his world and hurt so deeply. It was a traumatic event and more questions for God, more anger, more blame. And the stone over his life became like a, a stone over the mouth of a tomb that he was now living inside with not a lot of light, not a lot of love, not a lot of life going on. Just living in a dark place, sealed off. Somewhere along there, they became concerned that their kids weren't making good decisions, and so they thought, we've got to try something. Maybe we'll try church. In a desperate move, they thought that was an idea. Someone invited them to Mountain, so they came last Christmas Eve to the Edgewood campus. And when they came away, they were you know, they had all these expectations of a megachurch and all this stuff. But they, they were blown away by just the kindness and the compassionate, genuine welcome of everybody. And they just felt right at home. And then they heard, they kept coming. They just, just stayed around. And then they heard about this thing called Rooted, this Rooted group. And they got in together with some friends every week, a study that they went through in a small group. And it was just, it just was so fascinating and, and fun. And they, they began to say, I just knew that I needed to be with these people. And that my good things were starting to happen. He says, God began to do some loosening inside of me. And my heart and soul was awakened in a way that I did not think was possible. One time in the group, they were supposed to share something they called strongholds, like just like, you know what, if you want to tell something that you, ha you can't handle in your life that you just want God to help you with, you can do that. And he's like, I'm not doing that. So he was afraid and he was embarrassed and he said, I wasn't a good person, but you know what, he said, I wanted to change and I wanted something better for my family. So I just got honest and I told him everything and instead of judging me, they... They welcomed me like family and they lifted me up and they made me believe I was someone that God actually cared about. And you know what? The same love that put Jesus on the cross and the same power that raised him up from the dead began to do a work in Brian's heart. 
and eventually he began to surrender some of the stones that had built up in his life and he surrendered them one by one to the Lord and the Lord just gently removed them, put them aside and lifted them effortlessly and Brian was baptized not long ago and he's walking with the Lord and his family's on a different path and he's serving the Lord and just a few days ago, Brian stood right here next to me on this stage and he just said, I'm a new man, I'm alive again and I just wish everyone could experience what I've experienced. Friends, I'm telling you, he still rolls stones. He still rolls stones. And he, you've got a stone in your path, and you just have to decide if you're going to humble yourself and let him take care of it or not. Ask Jesus to roll away your stone. Ask Jesus to roll away your stone. How many of you remember or uh, saw all those pictures from that horrible fire this last week? You know, the one that stood out to me, the, the Notre Dame as the spire is collapsing and all this awful stuff, the one that stood out to me, maybe you saw it as well. Here's the one that stood out to me. Did you see that picture there? In a way, it was sort of awful and beautiful all at the same time. A symbol of hope, because there in the midst of the smoke and the rubble and the ash, you look up and you see that cross. This sign of death and defeat sort of reminding us of a picture of hope. A reminder that no matter how broken and destroyed and burnt up you feel, no matter what happens out of the rubble and the ashes, the cross overcomes. That cross that was a sign of torture is now a reminder of God's victory. It's a reminder that the manger is empty, the cross is empty, the tomb is empty, and Jesus is alive, y'all. There is no stone he cannot move. Can I just plead with you? Ask Jesus to roll your stone. Ask Jesus to roll your stone. I hope you'll do that. You can do it today. Hang around with us. Hang around. Let's pray. God, thank you for the amazing story of good news, a good, good story. Thank you for Jesus. We hate what happened on Friday, but it... it it helped forgive our sin, and it, and it was necessary. And so we thank you most of all that he walked out of that tomb, and that means we get to walk out of ours if we'll just trust him with our lives. Help us with the stones that block us from life. Roll away our stones, God. Will you do that for us? We pray in the name of the risen Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.